ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This week on Download This Show, Threads is the new social media platform that had over 100 million users sign up. But is its death knell already ringing? Elon Musk launches a new AI company to understand the universe... Apple makes history as the first $3 trillion company. And could Southeast Queensland become the next Silicon Valley? Mm. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Angharadio and welcome to Download This Show. Indeed, this is another episode of Download This Show, and a very big welcome to our guests this week, Asha Barbashow, editor of Gizmodo Australia. Hi. And technology journalist with The Guardian, Josh Taylor. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, mate. All right, now first up this week, Meta, the company behind Facebook and Instagram, has created a whole extra social media named Threads. Josh, what is it, and why are Meta doing this? <laughs> well, so it, it looks very Twitter-like. It, it's basically built off Instagram, so you can you can sign up and you can use your Instagram account for it, and you can automatically find people to follow. But it's basically the, the it's the bare bones sort of Twitter. You've got like text-based thread where you can post like 500 word um, posts. Uh, you can post images. You can post videos of up to five minutes. Uh, you can't do stuff like there's no hashtags yet. There's no DMs. There's no sort of searching for topics. So it's a little bit limited in that functionality, but. For all intents and purposes, it does look exactly like Twitter in a lot of ways. And uh, Meta has not been too shy about why it's doing this. Obviously, with everything that's gone on on Twitter since Elon Musk took over and the, the uh, advertisers not being happy with a lot of the stuff he's done in terms of uh, allowing a lot of far-right accounts back on and removing a lot of the moderation stuff that had happened on it, they were looking for something else and Meta sort of figured out that they could fill this space. So it's, it's very much just sort of... Uh, something that was relatively easy for Meta to do, but whether it actually lasts and whether it actually is something that will beat Twitter, we have to wait and see. Yeah, I was going to say they have had 100 million instant users sign up, basically, but you've said it's bare bones. Is that going to cut it when people are used to Twitter, which is very fleshed out at the moment? I think that um, one of the things that is people will find frustrating and people found really hard to use is that it's uh, it's an algorithmic-based feed, so you're just basically being presented with whatever Meta wants you to see. You can't just look at a feed of the people that you're following, and that, that did turn a lot of people off because they're just like, I want timeline in order that I can see who I'm following and everything like that. And I think the reason why they initially did that was basically because they didn't want people to sign up when it first launched and to see an empty feed because they weren't following anyone. So they've basically just thrown in a whole bunch of you know, for lack of a better term, brands and influencers who you, they think that you want to see their content. And it meant initially for a lot of people, it was, it was a bit of a mess and that's a bit of a turnoff. So whether they come back, whether people sort of still return, I think it will be um, crucial for them to bring on more features as quickly as possible to to get people to stay. Asha, it's my understanding that people are also basically bringing their Instagram followers over to threads immediately, but every social media has its own tone with what does and doesn't work on the platform. So has threads developed its own voice yet? And are those kind of Instagram users uh, translating their content for this new format in a way that works? Right. So yeah, when I signed up for threads, it was super easy. You could just 
import all of your Instagram followers over to Twitter. I just said Twitter, over to Threads, <laughs> Twitter 2.0, 3.0 if you count the one that Elon did. Um, <laughs> but it was almost too easy. And of course, if you're presented with a pop-up that then imports all of it for you, you're going to give it a try. So, And then, of course, the hype cycle as well. You, you had to find out what it was, right? You had to find out whether it would be the Twitter killer. But look, I had Be Real for a week. I've now forgot <laughs> to thread for, for three days from the Gizmodo account. Uh, I haven't opened Snapchat in a few years, but I still mindlessly scroll other social media things. So I'm not sure what the formula is to get someone to stay, but it is different for different people. I, I appreciate, but I guess if we could stop copying features from other platforms, that would be a start. But then Threads' proposition was that it was a copy of Twitter. So I don't know. <laughs> well, are people over Twitter now? Is is the fun of it just dead? Uh, I think that's a big factor of it. A, a lot of people don't want to go online and just be yelled at a lot of the time. And there's the, that. You don't real... find that fun? <laughs> <laughs> Once you've built a certain amount of following on there, over ten thousand followers, say you're going to have tweets go outside the circle of people that you're normally used to communicating with, and they will in- make the literal worst interpretation of whatever you've said and get angry and, and fire up. And it's just a very unpleasant place to be on at the moment. And I think people are looking for something that's alternative. Um, you know, we've got Threads, we've got Blue Sky, you've got Mastodon, you've got a few other alternatives popping up. People do want that, I think, that raw text-based uh, immediate live news update type uh, platform. But whether Threads will be it or Blue Sky will be it, we still don't really know yet. I don't think that Twitter can keep doing it because, you know, my personal view is that the Elon Musk is running it into the ground at this stage. Mm. And so I think there will be room for something else. We just haven't figured out what that is yet. So I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. I, I think that Threads hasn't really got it yet because, the, you know, the, the head of Instagram, um, Adam Mosseri, uh, said that they weren't really keen for threads to become a platform for politics or news. And I understand that that is about keeping a certain tone on the platform, but at the same time, that's what people want uh, from a text-based app like that. It almost sounds like an overcorrection of taking the teeth out of the platform because they're worried about it following in the footsteps of Twitter's absolute worst moments. Absolutely. I mean, I opened it this morning to just have a scroll because I hadn't in a while, and it was full of people that I don't follow, people that I deliberately don't follow. And it was just, it was awful content. It was really insensitive and not something that I wanted to see myself. And that's not even people that are interacting with me. So I can only imagine what it is like when when those comments make their way onto, onto you. But I guess Twitter was built around being kind of live, real-time updates of everything. And the amount of times that I used to go to Twitter purely for news to then write, uh, whereas now I haven't in a very long time. Um, I I think blanket denying anything to be on the platform, such as news or politics, it's not what the platform is really or should be used for, I guess. It's it's, you, You then just have what, Instagram, where you share photos of your cats, it, it, it then becomes more of a kind of uh, photo-based or just opinion and thoughts-based and kind of t- Tumblr was a while ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> Asha, do you think it's possible for a platform, the makers of the social media, to determine what the community is going to be like? It feels a little bit like that's just down to the people who use it, right? For people that are so involved in technology, I feel that that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what technology is capable of. Like, how do you stop that? Do you put in stop words? You can then get around stop words. I just, I don't see how they can, without having moderators in every 
part or every space of, of Threads 24-7, I don't see how it would be possible to moderate it in a way that is not ridiculous or just doesn't work. Josh, you mentioned a couple other kind of Twitter-esque social medias that have popped up earlier. Are you on all of them? You sound, um, t- don't take this the wrong way, terminally online. Oh, yeah, I'm very terminally <laughs> online. I am now a member of basically all the ones that have popped up since. Blue Sky, I still do check. There's there's a bit more of a, a different sort of vibe than the other ones because it's still invite only. So you can only get on there if someone, you know, gives you an invite code. That is good because it's meant that a lot of the worst actors that you find on a lot of these websites have stayed away so far. And there seems to be uh, reluctance to allow them on. And if they do join, then you can block them straight away. And there's this whole list that you can block them straight away. So that is a bit of a nicer vibe, but it is much quieter because there's so so much fewer people on there. Um, I think that that probably might have the best chance. I think that Although Meta is talking up how its moderation policies from the, from out of the box are already there and ready to go, and and I've seen a lot of people complaining about having their posts censored on threads already, mm. um, just just in, innocuous stuff in terms of just catching words and the AI or whatever they're using to, to to catch these words says it's out of line. I think that that will have a negative impact in some ways because people do want moderation, but they don't want you know super strict moderation. And I think that one of the things that worked for Twitter under the old administration was that it was regulated, it was there was moderation and things like that, but it was a little bit less on the handbrake than, than I think Meta and Threads appears to be. And Blue Sky does seem to have that as well at the moment. Download This Show is what you're listening to. My name is Angharad Yo, and we're joined by editor of Gizmodo Australia, Asha Barbashow, and technology journalist for The Guardian, Josh Taylor. And now it seems like every other week, those of us who have our heads in the tech sphere find ourselves asking... What has Elon Musk done now? And this week is no different, unfortunately. Asha, what has Elon done? Uh, (laughs) Honestly, this man. So... I thought it was the announcement of another child with a name starting with (laughs) characters that didn't make sense when put together. But no, it's XAI, his latest AI venture. In some ways, I'm sure he sees this as a child of his. I just... Basically, he wants to now compete with ChatGPT, which, of course, Maker is OpenAI, and then Google's Bard. I feel like he's just... He feels like he's missing out, right? Yeah, well, Elon has previously been very critical of AI, particularly, as you said, OpenAI's very popular chat GPT. And uh, he's basically making like the little red hen, isn't he? And saying, oh, I'll do it myself. Yeah, well, he called chat GPT too woke, didn't he? Which, he did. Using that phrase is <laughs> immediately a way to know you should avoid someone. But XAI comes after he signed an open letter in March calling for companies to halt AI expansion, right? And he asked them to just pause everything for about six months. So I guess September, it's fine to do this? Well, you know, I feel like if we've learned anything about Elon, it's his incredible ability to turn on a dime. So I think that might be what we're seeing here. What do you think, Josh? Well, so he was part of the people who founded OpenAI, which is what ChatGPT is, is made from, the, the organization that developed from. But he's he's made a lot of complaints about where OpenAI went with, because obviously now it's part of Microsoft. And that push for commercialization of AI is where he sees that it's gone wrong. And he thinks that, you know, if you have this sort of open standard, which what which is why it was called OpenAI, that people can see what you're doing and know that it's being developed ethically, then it can go quite well. And so I think that his his anger over that is probably what spawned you know this creation of another company. But it just means that it's another corporate entity competing with all these other corporate entities, Google, Microsoft, who are all doing the same thing. 
so he's hired a whole bunch of people from various uh, AI um, companies to to come on and do this. And um, I think Elon Musk works best when there's smarter people than him in the room doing all the stuff and he just leaves them alone to do the, the <laughs> things that he wants to do. Uh, you know, see our previous discussion on Twitter. But I guess it just remains to be seen what, what will actually come of this, if anything. Do you think he's actually just salty that he stepped away from OpenAI and then it exploded in popularity and he just wants a cut of the pie? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think there's definitely, it's the cool new thing that everyone's talking about now and he wanted a bit of that. I mean, we saw that for quite a while with cryptocurrency where he was going to accept Dogecoin as payment for Tesla <laughs> and then quietly that went away and and they, they were selling off all their Dogecoin stock and stuff like that. So he, he kind of jumps on the bandwagons when it suits him. So AI and ethics is a conversation that comes up a lot. Obviously, you know, AI is trained um, by people and it can sort of amplify the biases that are fed into it. It seems like potentially a big call to put the ethics of an AI in the hands of Elon, who can be quite, you know, unpredictable. Uh, yeah. And also, let's take a look at the the people behind the, the new project, I guess, that he's getting to make his super AI. It's uh, it's all men. But uh, I mean, in 2023, I've learned by now that men know what's best for me. So <laughs> that should be all fine. I can't see any issues with that. I can't see. So he, he said what that, uh, you know, AI could pose profound risks to society and humanity. So Elon knows that Elon's going to do this properly. We should all uh, have complete faith in the man that knows how to spend cash. <laughs> <laughs> well, the tagline for XAI is understand the universe. And, you know, I think you're right. Perhaps to understand the universe, you might want a larger cross-section of people and experiences of the universe. Perhaps. You'd hope so, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically in an AI arms race with all these commercial companies mm. doing it now. And I think it's now we can't really rely on the companies themselves to do it ethically. And I know that, you know, OpenAI, Sam Altman has made a big um, song and dance about wanting to be regulated, but I think it is the point where the governments have to start stepping in and say, we need some guardrails on this. And we, we've already seen the Australian government has a has a discussion paper out there now about what uh, laws potentially should come into place with AI. So I think that that's probably uh, the next stage for that. Well, he hasn't been entirely upfront in what area this AI will be working, has he? He's just kind of said that this AI company is coming. Do you think it's going to be in that uh, chat GPT kind of space? Or do you think he's going to be looking more broadly into perhaps the ways that AI is used in Tesla for image recognition, for example? Yeah, well, he's just throwing everything in the wall and seeing what sticks, right? <laughs> Social media site, check. Space company, check. EV company, silly car straight out of a sci-fi movie, also check. <laughs> you know, infrastructure company, the one that actually makes money. Um, but uh, there, there is a little bit of overlap with everything and it just kind of seems that... Uh, to some degree, there is a little bit of intelligence here um, where making... Artificial or no? Well, you know... Uh, <laughs> ghostwriting intelligence, I guess, you know, like you said, making an AI system that will then actually be a beneficial element to the future of a Tesla or other cars. So if you are starting something with the intention of having that used as tech in something else that you have, that's almost safeguardy. But I, I mean, knowing Elon, he'll probably just make a competitor to the, to the kind of two popular ones at the minute, just because he can. Look, I don't want to be too down or too uh, sceptical of this entire situation. Is there any light in this tunnel? Are we going to, you know, perhaps see 
a new AI innovation that really changes the game for us because, as we've said, he's got a lot of money, he's putting together a team, he's got a lot of pull, and even if there are some, I guess, question marks around who that team is, do you think, you know, Elon's got this, he's going to give us something useful? I think we're going to see a fair bit of just different versions of AI. I mean, AI is already becoming this catch-all term for everything. Asha can probably corroborate my inbox was filled with press releases about what people are doing with AI mm-hmm. now, so it's becoming it's becoming almost a meaningless term. I think that on the basic level, he'll probably do something, some sort of large language model type thing like a ChatGPT or something like that, and then you know other innovations that he's made through Tesla and, and, and other uh, automation that he's been able to bring it might all come under this one umbrella of this AI division. And we might see something come out of that. We don't really know what that is yet. But I think that's the thing we see about AI in general now. We don't really know where it's going, which is, I think, what both frightens and excites a lot of people at the same time. So we'll wait and see what comes of it. But it's still very bare bones announcement at this point. A great example of innovating internally uh, and then sharing that with customers and then being this cycle of uh, revenue, I guess, for a company and then also success and then also trust is Amazon. So everything that they offer through AWS, they use in-house for Amazon.com or .au as well. So it's kind of like this, oh, we use this. We know what's beneficial. Uh, We know how to scale. We know how to add robotics. We know how to add this. Let's then also package that up as a product to our customers. So that would be a great kind of thing if what Elon did then made its way to his other ventures, but then also to customers. But I mean, if he's training it on Twitter data, we're all screwed. (laughs) That is the cautious positivity that we love here on Download This Show, your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Angharad Yo, and we're joined by editor of Gizmodo Australia, Asha Barbashow, and technology journalist for The Guardian, Josh Taylor. Now, looking towards Aussie shores, there has been the suggestion that Southeast Queensland slash northern New South Wales could be the next Silicon Valley, but with broader accents and uh, drop bears. What is the Tesla chair suggesting here, Josh? Uh, so the, the Tesla chair has basically suggested that that um, you know if we're looking for where the next startup should be, you should come <laughs> to Southeast Queensland and um, and set up your shop here and and make it make it the next Silicon Valley. We we see this cycle every mm-hmm. couple of years. Like Melbourne uh, often you know, says that it's the tech startup capital. Sydney often says it's the tech startup capital of the globe. And now we've got Queensland doing it. It's one of those things where I just think that we don't have that critical mass of people here yet uh, to make it one way or the other. So there, there are pockets of it here and there in, in probably our three biggest capital cities, but I, I don't think we're any way to being sort of a si- Silicon Valley on the beach kind of thing. <laughs> so why has she identified, I guess, Australia to begin with and then this particular part of Australia? I don't mean to be so cynical, uh, which is the tone of this this week, but I go to a lot of concerts and it's sort of a similar bit to the vocalist shouting out, (laughs) hey, Sydney, you're the best town we've been in. And you get a cheer and you kind of then, uh, you know, (laughs) maybe pin them against the Brisbane crowd or the Melbourne crowd. And these words from the Tesla chair are giving that, right? Like, not that it was baseless words, but just kind of like we've been hearing this for years. Okay, we're in a kind of less populous or less capital city area of Australia. Let's talk that up as as this could be the next place because, and of course, it's not up to, to just her either. So this isn't all on her, but how, how, <laughs> right? Like, you know, if I say, hey, I'm going to be the next CEO of Twitter and then I do nothing 
and just expect that I'm going to be the next CEO of Twitter. It's, it's kind of similar to that. Like there's no roadmap. There's no kind of plan. There's just, I think this area is great. There are great people here. Let's do something great. Do you think that uh, she is a charismatic enough vocalist of a band to get people riled up and get something off the ground? I don't know if she can quite open a pit up uh, <laughs> or whatever the startup entre- entrepreneurial kind of equivalent of that is. But I mean, she's the chair of Tech Council of Australia, right? And also Tesla. She knows some people. I would love to see this actually step outside, just, you know, bringing global companies to headquarters in Melbourne or uh, transforming an old railway section of Redfern into a tech central. We're cynical, aren't we? You would love to see her open this pit up. I, I would love, I love to see her open analogy. this pit up. But do we have the talent to begin with? Like, that's the first thing, right? If we don't have the talent, if we don't have the people, it doesn't matter how many tram sheds you renovate, it's just not going to happen. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably a big factor. We've seen a lot of government, state and federal in the last couple of years uh, put a lot of funding into STEM courses and people studying cybersecurity and a lot of a lot of the tech-related industry courses. And I don't think we've seen the flow-on effect from that or whether people are sort of now getting into the industry. There's a lot of what they call the brain drain where people tend to end up going overseas. Whether that actually continues, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, it's one of those things, it's really hard. I, the other thing I would mention is that saying that, you know, Southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales kind of ignores the fact that uh, particularly northern New South Wales is a flood prone area a lot, <laughs> lot of the year True. and that's not really great for uh, you know starting up an industry and the other the other factor is like if, if you're talking about Byron Bay, if you're talking about northern New South Wales, the, the housing prices there are already incredibly ridiculous. If you want to make it more like San Francisco, that's just going to be even worse. I love the broad overview that you've given us of why, you know, that particular area is maybe a no-go because it floods. That's something that I wouldn't have even thought of. It would make a pit easier to open up. (laughs) (laughs) But are there any success stories of Aussie tech startups that have done well for themselves? Well, Atlassian, right? But they upped and listed in the US, the biggest float of any Australian company, Canva, they're absolute success story. Their their SEO play was just second to none. Now you Google any sort of logo and you get taken to Canva. Like they have nailed that. Afterpay, uh, employment here. We've we've got a few. We've got a lot. But do they need to go to southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales? Like... Well, if it's the next Silicon Valley, maybe we can convince them. Maybe maybe if she opens this pit up big enough, Atlassian will fall into it. I'm never li- <laughs> living that down, am I? <laughs> My name is Ankara Yo, and you are listening to Download This Show. I'm joined by journalist for The Guardian, Josh Taylor, and editor of Gizmodo Australia, Asha Barbashow. Now, Apple have just made history. They have become the first company to hit $3 trillion. Asha, what is the significance of this? It's just a lot of money, it, right? It's certainly more money than I would know what to do with. Probably Elon too. They've got everything covered, right? There's a lot of people with Apple devices, so phones, uh, laptops, iPads. They get cuts from the developers that make apps on iOS, uh, agreements for the likes of Apple Pay from banks and other financial services providers. The, this is all returning revenue. It's not just someone buys a once-off thing. It's all lifecycle subscription based and you know even if you replace your phone only every two to three years you're the chance of you going to an iPhone after you've had an iPhone so high but I guess to answer your actual question <laughs> I think Apple is just going to stay in this ballpark because they've 
set themselves up for having this constant recurring revenue that as everything else goes up, so too does that. Well, how has Apple managed to adapt to changing market pressures? You know, a lot of things changed throughout COVID. A lot of tech companies saw a big boom through all of that. Has Apple, you know, kind of slingshotted themselves through that as well? I think they've just been trying to keep on with what they've been doing. They have is the ecosystem we were talking about in terms of like you have your phone, your iPad, you have your home devices, you have like your subscription to Apple Music, your subscription to Apple TV, your fitness subscription, all these ways to basically keep you in the Apple ecosystem. And even though they still say they're primarily a hardware company, it's all these added on extra uh, services that keep you there. During the pandemic, they would have made so much money from all the cut of sales from like uh, delivery, like food delivery apps. If you look at the breakdown of the money that they make from in-app purchases, the majority of it is food. So, pe- pe- everyone who's using this for <laughs> such a vital, uh, vital piece of life, that Apple is taking a cut of that. You know what? I didn't even realize that they get a cut from food deliveries. Every single yeah. app. There Which is go. why you can't download an app outside of the App Store. But, I mean, like, I'm a sucker for Apple's walled garden. Like, I love that I can have AirPods in and I can answer it on my phone or my computer or I just I copy something on my phone and then I paste it on my laptop. Like, it's just too easy. The reason that a lot of companies, and this is generalising, of course, but a lot of the reason that companies had to then go through this then wave of redundancies, and I'm talking about tech companies specifically, is advertising has dropped off a lot and it's affected everything. And I'm, I'm not an economist, so my knowledge of this doesn't go too too deep, but Apple doesn't really make money from advertising, not like Twitter or Facebook or other social media platforms and then even Google. I think Apple, because they didn't have that, instead they were the ones making the, the cuts off those other kind of ecosystem things, I think that allowed them to not be hit. They just do everything properly. It really does sound like they're almost playing a different game. Do you think, Josh, that they're going to need to come around to the AI conversation? Oh, I think they're in the AI conversation already. I just think that they didn't really want to use the terms AI in, in how they talk about a lot of things. I mean, Siri is AI. People forget that. It's like they're one of their one of their biggest uh, products. So they're already well within this space already. It's just that they're not being, I guess, particularly showy about it because I think they don't really feel the need that they need to be jumping out and saying, we're getting on board with this because they've already been there. And, um, you know, Siri is, is becoming in, like so ingrained on the phone now and, and so ingrained in, in how people do do things even if you don't realize it if you're using autocomplete on your phone that's a that's a form of ai as well i just feel like they didn't really need to say well we're packaging this up and calling this you know apple ai now so but then that might change in the future but uh, i think at the moment they don't you know a lot of the focus was on the hardware for the last couple of announcements including the sort of the vision uh you know headset that they, they were getting into that space so i think that they were taking a step back from trying to package everything up as AI at the moment. I mean, they packaged a pencil as Apple Pencil, so they may as well package (laughs) AI as Apple AI. Why not? Well, do you think it's insulating them from these, you know, more critical conversations like we had about XAI uh, by not calling it AI? Well, it sounds a lot less threatening, right? Just being like, oh, they've got Siri. Siri does this. Siri, rather than saying, you know, this is machine learning or this is artificial intelligence, it's just it's just our software. I also do want to bring up the Vision Pro. Do you think that that is a risk that's going to pay off or does it not matter because they have three trillion to just mess around and and see what sticks? Everyone's looking for what the next iteration of like what the iPhone was and 
no one has quite figured that out yet, whether it's going to be something like a headset. I still can't see people wearing these things out and about, but I think that Apple's in a position that they can they can try it out, see what it works. Uh, if it doesn't actually pan out for them, they can probably put in a lot of what they're learning from that into their existing products and, and future products they might develop. But I think that, that sheer price of the units alone is going to be a deterrent for a lot of people, and I don't think that that's, it's going to sell very well. But uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you to my guests, Asha Barbashow, editor of Gizmodo Australia, and Josh Taylor, technology journalist at The Guardian. And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Angharadio, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show. Ever feel clueless during smart convos? Same here can't keep up with everything don't sweat it we're in this together i'm tegan taylor unveiling your new curiosity quencher quick smart i'll be chatting with clever people about current topics like the adhd boom opting out of the law disney as a religion and ai stealing our jobs just give me 10 minutes once a week i'll be quick you'll be smarter it's quick smart find it now on the abc listen app you've been listening to an abc podcast Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.